Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there and point and click it and then talk about www.com. For some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. Well, for my money, he's got all the facial characteristics of a criminal. Now, here's your host, that gravy-soppin', crappie-floppin', stump-jumpin', bobble-thumpin', gun-totin', mater-growin' son-of-a-gun, the backwoods Baptist himself, Pastor Harold Smith. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's good to have you back on the podcast again today. I am your host, the backwoods Baptist, Harold Smith, coming to you from the backwoods of western Arkansas where the Ozarks meet the Arkansas river and please hold your applause. There's, there's deer sleeping in the yard. <laughs> we have about eight or 10 does that are bedded up there and I, I don't want to spook them. I like to try to let them get a morning nap in and, um, and let, let them get some rest. Uh, so what is a backwoods Baptist? It is the Baptist that spread across America. It's the Baptist that went to the new frontier. It's the Baptist that fled out of new England. Uh, because of persecution from state-ran churches. It's the Baptist that advocated for religious liberty. It's the Baptist that advocated for individual church autonomy and no centralized church government merger. That is a backwoods Baptist. They just wanted to have freedom to worship God according to the dictates of their conscience, and that's what we're missing today. We're missing that evangelistic church-planning zeal to go where there is no other churches. Instead, Baptists have become church planners by re, by way of church split. This is why we have Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist, Fifth Baptist. Uh, and I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody's church that is split, but it seems like churches multiply over the color of the carpet in disagreements in that area than they do in evangelistic zeal to go where there is no church. And I would say in our day to go where there is no healthy church. Many times uh, you have a church in a community, but it has no spirit, has no biblical uh, criteria of a church. So we've got to get back to that zeal to plant healthy churches, maybe even to replant and revitalize healthy churches, uh, churches that are on the verge of closure or have been in, in uh, unhealthy, unbiblical uh, position to get them back on track. That's what it means to be a backwoods Baptist. So what is going to be our topic today? This is a topic that's been on my mind for about, oh, back before we took a break in December and January. I had this on my mind, and I've just kind of rolled it around in my mind for probably the better part of two months. Maybe we're, we're mid-February. It's probably been on my mind about three months. And the, the title is, If You Believe in Grace, Show Some. If you believe in grace, exhibit some grace. Now, that thought didn't originate with me. It summarized what I've said for some time. I was at a true church conference um, there at Grace Life Church in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. I'm going to guess eight, ten years ago probably now. And uh, Barry King was there. He's a church planner in England, and he was back in the States. And he said that, he said, those of you that believe in grace should show some. And I thought, man, I mean, that was, that was at the time it seemed profound. Yeah. We believe that God is gracious. We believe that God uh, does for us what we do not deserve. He, he, he gives us unmerited favor. 
well, if we are the recipients of unmerited favor, shouldn't we be the distributors also of unmerited favor? And I would say, yes, yes. And, and that's the thrust of my message today. Uh, this podcast is going to be on showing unmerited favor. In other words, being kind to those that don't really deserve it. L not having to have the last word, not having to win the argument, not having to browbeat somebody in order to get your point across, but simply saying what you mean, mean what you say, and let it go. And not have all this, this bickering and arguing. But instead, what we're seeing, especially on social media, and especially in certain segments of Christianity, we're seeing this idea of truth above feelings. That's how they'll pitch it. Well, it's truth above feelings. And I've heard a preacher say, look, when you go to the doctor, you know, if you got cancer, it would be unloving to not tell you you have cancer. Uh, you want to know the truth. And so when we get out there, we want to just give people the truth. I agree. But it should never be truth above feelings. It should be truth, truth tempered to their feelings. You see, if we are giving truth, but we lack the love of that truth, then what good are we? And let me, put, let me go back and take that doctor's terms. So you go to the doctor, you've got something wrong with your leg. That doctor doesn't come in and just grab your knee and start twisting it around and yanking on it and hitting it with a hammer. And how do you like that? No, no, he's gentle because he knows that hurts. He's, he's gently trying to diagnose it. When we're delivering truth, we need to deliver the truth in love. And love is not bluntness. Love is not a hammer. <laughs> love doesn't hit you over the head. This is what Paul does in the entirety of 1 Corinthians 13. He starts out in verse 1. You know it well, if, if I speak in the tongues of angels, if I'm up saying all this flowery speech and all this excellent doctrine and all this great theology, but I don't have love, I'm a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I'm, I'm just filler noise. And I really believe that this is what we're suffering from among a lot of men who have good doctrine. They believe right. They understand the gospel. They even understand church polity. They understand a lot of biblical truth. But they think that is a license and a mandate to walk around and just waylay everybody that's not exactly like them. So if we're going to deliver truth, number one, we have to know our audience. You've got to know your audience. No, no, no. I'm just going to go out and declare it. I'm just going to thunder it from the rooftops. I'm just going to beat them over the head with it. I'm going to grab this big old Bible and I'm going to swing it far and wide. The people that are doing that don't look you in the eye when they do it. They go in churches, they thunder, they, they're loud, they look, they look up, they bury themselves back in their notes, they look up, they bury themselves back in their notes, and they're just saying what they've got to say. That's not the way that the apostles preached. That's not the way Jesus preached. Instead, you should be looking the people in the eye and seeing how what you're saying is affecting them. You should be looking at them and seeing if you need to slow down, speed up. Are, are, are they bored? Are, are they convicted? Should you just shut up and give an invitation? All of these things 
are something that preachers should do. We're not out there just to broadcast it. We're told to broadcast it, but we're also told not to cast our pearls before swine and give that which is holy to dogs. You've got to balance this. So we're not just shouting over their heads. We're actually having interaction with them. Paul disputed with them in the market daily. That didn't mean he was arguing with them. It meant he had interaction. Paul went before philosophers, and they wondered what this man would say. When Paul was preaching to Felix, he had a longing in his heart. He said, I wish you were all together like me, but for these chains, that I wasn't in bonds. You see, Paul was preaching the truth in love. And in all of those instances that I mentioned, it's gospel truth, okay? It's gospel truth. You're sharing the gospel. But let's look at how Jesus disseminated truth. Jesus was preaching. We have several of his sermons recorded in the Gospels. We have long interactions between Jesus and a varying number of people. Notice how sympathetic and compassionate and gracious Jesus is with a sinner. Maybe it's a Pharisee that comes to him by night. Maybe it's a rich young ruler that comes to him. He doesn't blast them. He doesn't just beat them over the head with gospel truth. He's compassionate to them. He's kind and loving and forgiving. He gets down on their level and shares the gospel in their terms. But notice how he responds to the Pharisees when they come. When the Pharisees show up, he knows they're just trying to trick them. He's blunt. He's brutal. He just tells them how it is. He tells them that they're of their father, the devil. He's very blunt. But the difference here is that Jesus is addressing the audience, and he knows the audience. You say, well, I'm not Jesus. I don't know the audience. Yeah, but you should have enough discernment to know when someone is ready for something and when they're not. And if you're called to be a pastor and you don't have enough discernment to know what your congregation needs, where they're weak, what they struggle with, and what you should be doing to feed them, you really need to get down on your knees and pray that God would give you that understanding. Jesus in John 16, verse 12, he said, I've got many things to tell you, but you're not able to bear them. Jesus was telling them some things they didn't understand. I mean, they, he was clearly over their head, and he had many more things to tell them, but they couldn't handle it then. Jesus didn't just pull their head back and start ramming truth down their throat, and you're going to take it, you're going to like it, and you're going to eat it, and you're going to get it. No. He goes on to say in John 16, but when the Spirit is come, he's going to come, he's going to open your mind, he's going to open your understanding, he's going to continue to lead in God. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is that Christians don't all get it instantly. It comes over time, and it's the Spirit's job to see that they get it. This is why we should show grace. If we're not gracious and we're just trying to ram stuff down people's throats, here's what's happening. We're forcing stuff that they're not ready for on them. And if your ministry is one of just rearing back and letting them have it without love and declaring the gospel and saying, well, I, I told them the truth, that is love. No, you've got to tell them the truth in love. Truth is not a substitute for love. Truth is to be delivered in love. And if you're not delivering it in love, the gospel is already offensive. And if you're not doing that, 
and, and you're just blasting them with it, it's doubly offensive. One, because you're an idiot, and another, because you're calling them a sinner anyways, which the Bible declares they are. So Jesus knows who he's talking to. He deals with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, she's, do she's doing it. They got her. There's, there's eyewitnesses. He's gracious to her. When the Pharisees show up, he condemns them. Why? He knows his audience. He sees the way that they're approaching him. He sees what their needs are. He asked Zacchaeus, a tax collector, to come down and go to his house. We should respond differently on based upon who our audience is. If we're talking to sinners, yeah, we can't sugarcoat the gospel. It is the gospel. It can't be perfected. It can't be altered. We can't make it more palatable. It is what it is. But what if we're talking to those that already believe the gospel? Does that give us license to just club them over the head? Does that give us license just to beat them up, throw them down, and show them how smart we are? The answer is no, not at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very clear this is not what you're supposed to do. The graceless people just simply do not trust the Spirit to do what only the Spirit and the Word can do. You see, when Jesus said, I got many things to tell you, can't handle them, but when the Spirit's come, he's going to take over this ministry of, of opening your understanding. He's going to be your teacher and your guide, and you're going to get it and you're going to get it, and you guys are going to write the New Testament. Okay, Jesus is trusting the Spirit to do that. The graceless don't. They think it's up to them to ram it down people's throats, win arguments, beat them down, uh, corner them, and, and force them to like it. It just doesn't work that way. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, he says, you guys are on milk. You're on baby stuff. You know, at this point in time, you should be on meat. You should be on strong doctrine like the priest Melchizedek and Jesus coming after the order of Melchizedek, both a king and a priest, because that's Jesus. He's prophet, priest, and king. He says, I, I should be able to talk, you know, in depth about this, but I can't with you because you're not there yet. So the apostle or whoever wrote, I'm sorry, whoever wrote Hebrews, decided to drop that because the congregation wasn't ready to receive it. He said, desire milk, but milk is to get you grown up where you can eat meat. If you're constantly arguing over deeper secondary doctrines with people who are on milk, you're graceless. You are graceless. You are expecting of them what you yourself didn't have at that point at that uh, phase in your life. Here's the problem with many of the Reformed Baptists. They believe in their lock-solid, airtight theology. They have systematized nearly everything in the Christian life, and they've nailed it down to the position that if you don't fit in the scope that they have, you're wrong, and there's no room for anybody outside of this airtight, lock-solid case. They've got confessions. They've got uh, volumes and volumes and volumes uh, written by scholars that back up and, and proof text all their, their individual views, and they spend most of their time, not all of them, many of them do. Many of them, if you look at, I think they call it, they even call it Reform Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, but if you're on Twitter, get on Reform Twitter. 
I mean, it's guys arguing about all sorts of silly little secondary doctrines that have no bearing on the gospel, but that's what they do. And they try to cram meat down baby believers. They beat up anybody, not physically. They socially browbeat on social media any baby believer that disagrees with them. What is that doing? That's wrongly dividing brothers in Christ. Anytime you're going down there and you're beating up some young guy, you're a spiritual bully. You're graceless. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. Maybe they are wrong. Maybe you are right. But does that necessitate that you beat them down? Does that necessitate that you write articles and pages of, of you know, proving they're wrong? Or do we say, hey, there's a lot of things you don't know about, but I'm going to trust if you're a child of God, spirit of God will get it through to you. This is the way we should look at it. It's the way Christ looked at it. It's the way the writer of Hebrews looked at it. It's the way Paul looked at it. He said, I've got to lovingly tell them this. And if if they can't get it, then I just pack off and trust the Holy Spirit to do so. And Paul writing to the church at Rome said, mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid such. Do you realize what that means? He says what you've learned. Okay, if you're not there yet and someone's dividing you, offending you, upsetting you, they may be right, but you need to get away from them because they're graceless. They don't care about love. They just care about being right. Remember when I said you need to know your audience and that requires you to look at them? If you're not looking at who you're talking to, you don't see the hurt that you're causing. When you make these blanket arguments on social media, you're arguing with a computer. You're not looking those people in the eye. You're not seeing the emotion on their face. You're not seeing the hurt that you're causing. You're not seeing the offense because you think it's truth above feelings and feelings don't matter. And you ought to be able to say the same thing to every single person and they all get it. Praise God. No, no, no biblical example does that with anything other than the gospel. We, we herald the gospel, but people aren't, aren't thundering, repent and believe the gospel. They're thundering all these secondary doctrines and arguing over them with believers, dividing brethren. They blast struggling Southern Baptist pastors just as hard as they would blast a liberal Democrat arguing for abortion rights and gay marriage. And they treat them the same. They see no distinction between the young Christian who's trying to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, who's on milk. They see no distinction between them and the leftist politician who hates God, hates the Bible, and hates church. They mock pastors. They mock their fellow pastors. They treat doctrinally sound churches and criticize them just as hard and as bad as they would treat some crazy church that doesn't follow the Bible at all. They have no distinction between those that are on milk and those that are on meat. They have no distinction between the lost and the saved. 
They have no distinction between the Pharisee and the woman caught in adultery. They have no distinction between the, the priest that wants to know who Christ is and those that wanted to catch him up and trick him and, dis, and, and try to expose him. And because they don't ever look at their, their audience, they don't look them in the eye, and when they do, they don't listen to them. They justify their actions. They're not showing any grace. This is the problem we're dealing with in Christianity today. Not only do we have the haters of Christianity, but within Christianity, we got those that believe in grace but cannot show any. And they're arguing over differing practices. It's not that the church is, uh, rejects the Trinity. It's not that the church is opposed to um, the uh, substitutional uh, atonement of Christ. It's that they don't do it exactly like we do. So we've got to get online and tell everybody how they're doing it wrong. We've got to criticize all the members of that church for not doing it the way our church does. Let me ask you a something. Let me, let me ask you something, Mr. Critical Spirit. Let me ask you this. Was God, was he ever gracious to you when you were younger? Was God ever patient with you before you knew all this great and grand doctrine? Was God gracious to you when you were still in seminary and didn't know it yet? Was he gracious to you before you read a book on this subject and became an expert? Was God patient with you? Or did he demand that as soon as you got saved, before any kind of real sanctification could take place, that you just instantly become to this level? Now, you know the answer to that. Yeah, he was gracious with me. Yeah, I, I, it took me a long time to get here. Then how about you show a little grace to those that aren't there yet? How about that? This is why no one listens to you. You think they do, but they don't. They've turned you off. You're a tinkling symbol, your background noise. They see your post and they just keep scrolling. They may even reach up there and mute you so they don't have to see any more of your silly post. Why? This is what they say. Oh, that's just that hypercritical person. He's the only person that's got it right. He's the only one that knows what's going on. He's the only guy that does church right. He's the only one that has a good, healthy church. All the rest of us are just groping in darkness. You see, when your constant business is the criticism of other believers, then here's what happens. Those other believers quit listening. You're just a clanging symbol. Not only are you offensive to sinners for declaring that Christ is the only way of salvation and except they repent and believe on him, they're going to perish and spend an eternity in hell. That's offensive. And we should be offensive to those people. We should, as lovingly as possible, declare that unwatered down full strength message. But let's say they believe that. Then we shouldn't instantly demand that they start carrying out all of our little doctrines, we should give them time to learn it, to study it, and to get it from the Holy Spirit and from the teaching of the Word and from the fellowship of the saints and from a, a godly church. They should grow in their knowledge of the Word. And that's not going to come by cutting up a big steak and ramming it down a, a, an 18-month-old baby's throat and saying, there, you grow up big and strong, honey. That's not how it works you got to get off milk and get onto the cereal and then off the cereal onto the sweet potatoes and the peas, and they're all mashed up. And then maybe gradually you work in a little bit of turkey soup out of a Gerber bottle. It takes time. If you're offending brothers 
not because you're preaching the gospel, but because you're graceless, then shame on you. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm talking to you differently than I would talk to someone that was not graceless. I'm being more bold toward you because you're, you're bringing it on. This is the audience. You're the ones that say truth above feeling, so I'm giving you truth as kind as I possibly can. But I'm going to be honest, I don't think you understand grace until you can show some of it yourself. I don't think you truly understand what God has graciously given you until you're willing to graciously give it to other people. I don't think you've experienced his mercy until you've been merciful. This is why Christ gives us the beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, friend, it's it requires you to exhibit it if you truly believe it. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying you can't preach on hard topics. I'm not saying you can't lead your church into all sorts of minute doctrines, but hard preaching, like I'm describing, should be done with the eyes on the soul, not in your notes, what you came up with in the back room. I got some notes uh, written here on, a, on an envelope. But most of my time, I'm trying to address these people. And listen, when I've had to address this exact topic before, I've done it face-to-face -face more times than I've ever done it on a podcast. I've had to set people down and say, look, I don't think you understand what you're doing. I don't think you realize how mean you are. I don't think you realize how, how much you're hurting people. And here's what's happened every single time I've said it, every single time I've sat down with someone who's graceless and pointed it out, I've been called, oh, you're just soft. Oh, you just don't understand. Yeah, you're just not cut out for the ministry. I'm still in the ministry. Many of them are not. I don't say that braggingly. I say that as a warning. I say that looking into your very soul. I care about you. And those of us that believe the gospel ought to look like we've been redeemed by the gospel. Yes, we're warriors, but we're strong in our weakness, not in our, our sharp typing and our smart remarks and our quick wit. Hard preaching doesn't just stare at the back of the wall and look over people's heads. If you're going to preach on hard doctrine, you look them right in the eye when you preach. You look at that sweet old lady that's 85 years old, been out, been in the church nine months before she was born. You look at her as you preach. You look at her eyes when you preach. You look at that old man sitting over there who in his younger days uh, was a wild man, and God saved him midway through his life and changed him, and he lost all of his old friends, and he became a new husband and a new dad and a new grandpa, and he's lived the second half of his life in church. You look at him while you tell him how sorry he is how dumb he is, how he doesn't understand doctrine the way you do. You look at those two older people, and then you look at those children that have just professed faith in Christ. You look at them. They're, they're young. They're babes. They haven't even had time to gain the meat that you're trying to ram down them and expect them to take it. When you look in the eyes of these people and you weigh where they are and you, you, you contemplate who they are as you speak, it gives you a knowledge of your audience. And you know what it'll do? It'll temper your anger. It'll temper 
your desire to divide over truth at all costs. And you'll still have the truth. You'll still preach the truth, but you'll preach it in love. And because they know you love them and because they've seen you put down your, your pet doctrines and your, your personal things and all the things that are important to you and whatever's happening online today and, and what's going on, instead, here's what will happen. They'll say, look, he cares about us. He's telling us this because he loves us. You know who doesn't know that you love them? All the people you've blasted on the Internet. So my advice to you is, if you struggle with being gracious, how about just focusing on your own flock? How about you, instead of getting on the internet and telling everybody else why they're wrong, how about you just spend your time in the church God called you to shepherd and you spend it there? If you're a member there, how about you pour all your extra time that you would be online arguing with with other Christians, how about you pour all that time into painting those old worn out Sunday school rooms? How about you pour all your time into weeding the flyer bed in front of church? How about you pour all your time into something physical that you could do in the church? You see, this is what it means to be gracious. We're not out here to win arguments against brothers. But this is what happens all too often. They get entangled in social media. And then they come into their churches on Sunday morning and what they're preaching to their flock is really the overflow of what they've argued on social media all week. And your church is not being fed according to the needs that they have sitting in the pew. It's being fed according to what you've seen in the groups you run in online. The arguments you've had online. So technically you're not pastoring your church. You're pastoring some internet flock. Face to face when it's needed. If this is an individual thing that affects me directly, I go to them face to face. If that don't work, I get some other people involved. If that don't work, I get away from them because I take the verse serious. Mark them that cause divisions contrary to the doctrine you've learned and avoid such. I've separated myself from a number of people over the years that were once my close friends. And you know what I've enjoyed? I've enjoyed getting back together with some of them when they learned grace. I've enjoyed getting to know them again when they weren't online fighting all the time. I've enjoyed getting to know them when they were family men, true husbands, true fathers, true godly men serving their home and their church, and I've enjoyed getting to know them again. But listen, you're never going to experience that with somebody who can't show grace to others, who's always trying to justify their beliefs, who's always trying to make everyone fit into their little category. If you believe in grace, you ought to show some. Only reason I show grace is because it was grace that was shown to me. I've had a long and storied history of being on the wrong side, doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong things. I don't have to correct everybody. But listen, I'm tired of watching good Christians get beat down by guys who claim to believe in grace but are incapable of showing any. Guys who are unable to close their mouth, let someone else have the last word and bow out. Someone who always has to win the argument, always has to be justified, always has to write the article, always has to make the post, and always has to bring it up. That's my audience. If that's you, you need to show some grace. 
If you've been the recipient of God's grace, show some. If you've been bullied by those that are graceless, get away from them. There's better friends within Christianity than those. Thank you guys for listening. I hope that you learned from this in the way I intended to present it. I hope you uh, understand that if we believe in grace and we think God gives unmerited favor to us, we should give unmerited favor to others, even if they're not exactly like us. May God richly bless you. I'll see you on the next podcast.